Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Courage is such an important thing for all of us to learn. It is something that I am always trying to better understand in my own life and what it actually takes to have courage in the first place, to face some of life's most difficult and challenging times, uh, going through grief, going through some rough, rough waters, uh, so to speak. Uh, my guest today is actually a return guest, is one of my favorite people to actually speak to. His name is Dave Hollis. Now, Dave has a brand new book out, which I'm very excited to tell you all. We kind of touched on it a little bit in our last conversation uh, on the story box, which I'll link below so you can go check that one out too. But he's got a new book called Built Through Courage. It's releasing absolutely nationwide, so you can go and get a copy of it right now, actually. It details Dave's transformative journey through his own rough waters and encourages readers to dive in, take control, and find a life of purpose. At the height of his successful career at the Disney company, he was an exec there, Dave found himself unhappy and unfulfilled. He had climbed the ladder to someone else's idea of success because he didn't have his own. Attending his wife, Rachel Hollis's, his former ex-wife's now inaugural Rise event, he saw the potential to put his creativity and skills to use to build her brand into a company. It wasn't until the events of 2020 when they uh, the marriage dissolved that uh, before his very eyes, actually, as the world came to a screeching halt because of COVID, that Dave came to understand he wasn't living his life or chasing his dream. He was chasing hers. In his new book, Built Through Courage, Dave shares the lessons he's learned along the way as he's intentionally and somewhat painfully, as you're about to listen to, taking control of his own life and future. You as the reader, if you do get a copy, and I hope that you do, uh, will be encouraged by the wisdom gleaned from the sources vast and wide, as well as Dave, Dave's wisdom and advice himself, and it will equip you 
to get to the place that you're meant to go and become the person you were born to be, regardless of any anchor that is holding you back currently. And uh, Dave is also the New York Times bestselling author of another one of my favorite books called Get Out of Your Own Way. And he is the host of the Rise Together podcast. Uh, he's a health and fitness enthusiast and online uh, coach. He works to inspire others to take control of their lives and create a future of fulfillment and purpose, which I honestly love. So my friends, if you do get something from this conversation, and I have no doubt that you will, please share this one around. Don't forget to get a copy of Dave's new book, Built Through Courage. Uh, It's available anywhere books are sold, but to make it easy for you, links will be in the show notes below. Uh, Yeah, really do appreciate you. Don't, Don't forget before you go to subscribe and leave a rating and review as well. Help support this story box even more. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box and learn more about how we can build ourselves and become more courageous uh, in our life and through the difficult waters as we listen to the stories, the wisdom and the advice from none other than my good friend and one of my favorite people to speak to, Dave Hollis. Thank you, Jay. It's so good to be back. It's so good to have you back. And, you know, I've, I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Like I said in the intro, uh, I asked you the very first conversation we had, what, what's your definition of success? So I want to ask you that again. But the very first question I do want to ask you to, to begin this conversation off is what has been the, the greatest lesson that you've learned even in the, this last year or the year prior? Well, I mean, the biggest lesson for sure in these last two years has been that my becoming the version of who I'd hoped to become doesn't necessarily take a path that I would have necessarily hoped for. In that when I, uh, at the end of 2019, had this bold declaration that I was going to have my best year ever in 2020, what I didn't appreciate in the declaration was that the best year of my life would come in a way that was completely disconnected from anything I could have thought. My best year also happened to be my hardest year. And it was a year that has helped me grow in so many ways because of what I would describe as post-traumatic growth. Uh, but that for the rest of my life, as I get to the end of my life, I will look back on 2020 as one of those most important years in defining who I've become, not in spite of those things that happened, but because of those hard things that have happened. And as much as uh, having now come to the other side of uh, a bunch of hard things have helped me grow, I wish I could say that my quota is full for hard things. It is not. I'm hoping more than anything that my next brush with hard circumstances, unexpected change, the change that chooses me, whatever it ends up being, that the evidence that I have, the good that can come from the hard things now sets the table for me to appreciate whatever that next hard season is as an invitation to continue my journey of becoming, even if in those hard things, I don't necessarily enjoy every ounce of or every second of that journey along the way. For those people that don't know some of the things, some of the hardships that you went through in the last two years, would you be able to kindly share some of those things? Yeah. So, I mean, I think for all of us, change is a constant. So, you know, we're living through unprecedented times. There are things in the upside down of quarantine and COVID that have certainly made us have to change the way we do and think about what normal ends up looking like. But uh, I I have experienced, uh, I'll go even for the last four years, I've, I've experienced change that I chose 
transitioning out of a corporate environment that I'd lived inside of for 20 years, leaving the head of sales at the Walt Disney Company for entrepreneurship and the work that I currently do. And then change that's chosen me, right? That I was in a relationship that I thought might last forever. And as it turns out, was only destined to last until 2020. <laughs> uh, in divorce, I had changed Choose Me in a way that, uh, similar to the way that I, in leaving something that was comfortable and safe at the Walt Disney Company, had me having to get my legs under me, uh, getting like normalized or uh, become more comfortable with something that was new. And in a weird way, as much as I had some agency in the choice that I made to leave, there were so many similarities in what it takes to get yourself accustomed to what normal ends up feeling like when normal is new. And I think that's part of where growth ends up coming from is the way that you in that resistance in the way that your muscle gets broken down to get built back up and the way that resilience or grit is actually built in those seasons that you become who inevitably you become. Mm -hmm. I am fundamentally just a different person than I was two years ago, not again, in spite of, but because of having to go through the things that I went through in the transition of being married to divorced. How did those experiences of change in your life teach you more about what it actually means to have courage? And I've got a second question, if you don't mind. Uh, and it's kind of an easier one. <laughs> I hope it's easy. But what do you think in your experience has been, I guess, better for you in terms of the change that we'd least expect to come or the change that we choose? Yeah. So... I mean, courage as a through line is an important, necessary ingredient in embracing what can exist outside of something that we're comfortable with, yeah. right? Like if, if you are interested in growing, if you're interested in becoming, if you, uh, the, the, the through line of my book more than anything is this conceit that you, Jay, me, any of the listeners, we were created with very intentional, deliberate intention, that there was something specific as to why you were put on this planet, why I was put on this planet, that our experiences, as unique as they each have been, make all of us a limited edition, one of one. No one is like you, no one is like me, and that with that uniqueness comes a responsibility, a mandate of sorts for us every day to honor the intention of our creator. Yeah. But the decision to honor why we're here is and requires an act of courage because leaving something that we know for something that we need, moving closer to purpose often requires leaving something that we're comfortable with, moving away from our comfort zone, yeah. embracing the choppiness of the waters that exist outside of our safe harbor so that in the choppiness, we can be refined so that in what ends up inevitably being an environment where, of course, because it's new, we're not going to get it right right away. We're going to make mistakes and learn from those, those mistakes. We're going to fall down and have to get back up. It's in the getting back up where we learn so much about ourselves and so much about how to avoid falling down again or maybe not even keeping ourselves from falling, but falling in a way that allows us to jump back up faster. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's again, change that you choose or that chooses you, courage is required because you are going into something that is different and uncomfortable. And that discomfort, again, is what will ultimately help make you who you'd hope to be. Mm -hmm. the, the, I'd like to say that if you are choosing change, there is a 
feeling of agency that comes around that choice that makes you believe that you are more prepared to handle what happens next. Yeah. What's interesting is I wouldn't have necessarily chosen to be divorced. And yet, because it was chosen for me, the byproduct of that choice ended up having a more formative impact in my life because of the requirement that came in me having to make sense of or put pieces back together or in this blank piece of paper that was handed to me where I was now left to define what the future looked like now that it no longer looked the way I thought that it might as much as, yeah, that blank piece of paper was both terrifying and exhilarating. Uh, my interest in trying to write the most exhilarating chapter that would again, honor the intention of why I believe myself to be here actually gave me a little more freedom in the, in the, in the, in the lack of what had been before to create anything. There's a line that I use in the book. I know nobody quotes Fight Club, but Tyler Durden had a quote in Fight Club that said, it's not until you lose everything that you're free to do anything. And I do really feel like in this, you know, change that shows me that there was an unbelievable amount of freedom that was afforded to me now in the aftermath of circumstances that I never thought could happen. There was, I'm sure, some hubris, me um, taking for granted that what had existed would always exist, that I wish I hadn't, but here we are. And now, as things have been burnt down, things have died that were very important in my life, the question of how I might be reborn out of those ashes fell wholly and totally in my hands. Yeah. And there's something in that, that if you can seize that opportunity and take that opportunity, that becomes exhilarating. If you decide to uh, be courageous enough to walk toward those things that you ultimately fear in the unknown. Why is it that oftentimes people don't embrace the change? They don't like the change. They, is it because they don't want to face up to the pain? They don't want to have to deal with it? Or why do you think that is? Well, I know for me, the first casualty in, in both instances, but maybe more so in divorce, was my imagination. I had only really seen a future that kept the variables that were present in my life as variables that would be present in my life. And now that those things, right, identity pillars around me as Rachel's husband, that was a huge pillar of who I am. Me working with her in this company that we were building, huge pillar of who I am. Those things now being gone had me having to imagine what I am or what I do in the absence of what I've been or what I've done. And that imagination being compromised was really complicit to my fear overwhelming that imagination. Yeah. And so I think people stay stuck or stay comfortable with okay or justify staying inside of the suffering that they're familiar with because they know that suffering. They know where they're at. And it's hard sometimes to imagine what it might mean to leave that suffering or to do something that's a departure from where we've been comfortable historically. Yeah. And for me, like reigniting my imagination began with really confronting and developing a relationship with my fear. So I had to make a, a relationship with and, and really bring to my consciousness 
every single thing that stood as a barrier in real time between where I was and where I'd hoped to be by actually writing down on a piece of paper, all these things that I was afraid of. And for me, there were 46 things, lots of things I was afraid of. And in bringing them from unconscious to conscious, I now could see them on a piece of paper that allowed me to inventory which of these things are real, which of these things are not real. And, and there was, you know, like, by the way, I, people have said like fear is false evidence appearing real. I don't believe that that is the case for all fear. I think there, of course, is some fear that is conjured and imagined. For me, I can say in my experience, 70% or so of the things that I wrote down, once I could see them in the light of day, I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Of course, I need not be afraid of this thing. I've overcome this thing before, or I have the resources to handle this, or I have community that'll help me be able to go through this without having to worry about it. But 30% of the things were very real. They were things that I should be afraid of. There was justification in the fear. And then the question that was asked of those real fears was, what kind of plan can I put together to actually confront these fears. I, I think a plan is an antidote to fear. And so that like idea of planning is in of itself an act of courage. If you can create a plan to face your fear, now you're equipped to move forward when things don't go the way that you'd hope, or you're now traversing into a part of the forest that you maybe haven't been in before as you push away from your comfort zone into something new. I, I, I have in the book and in any conversation I've had talked about our comfort zone or our safe harbor, as I describe it in the book, as something that is surrounded on all sides by fear. It's like a moat that like on all sides surrounds our, our safe harbor, or our comfort zone. And there is no drawbridge, right? There's no way to avoid moving into learning or moving into growth, stepping closer to purpose or fulfillment unless you're willing to actually face your fear, unless you're willing to work and walk through it. And so the act of leaving comfort is in and of itself an act of courage because of what's required it to, to leave it is first to face the things that you're most afraid of. And so I had to make that list. Once I had the handle on the things I was afraid of, it was, okay, what can I do to best prepare myself? A plan is an antidote to fear. What can I best prepare myself to face those fears so that in putting myself into these new situations, I might get to learning, I might get to growth, I might stand closer to fulfillment or purpose in a way that has me honoring this intention of my creator. Yeah, I love the plan aspect. I can't remember who who said it, but he's like, if you want to take an island, burn all the boats or yeah. something like that. So that's where my mind goes to in regards to having the courage to face up to the fear. Like you got, you got no way of going back. You go forward. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's the thing. So I'm, I'm curious about the plan aspect of what are some of the things that people, I mean, you mentioned one of them, which was writing down the fears that you do have and whether or not they are your own uh, self-conscious fears, if they're real, if you're, you're just being your own worst enemy, but what are some other things like more practical things that people can do to, I guess, in, engage the courage so they can face up to their fear revolving around yeah. having a plan? Well, one of the things for me that was really hard at the beginning was as a person who had historically been able to cast a vision of who I'd hope to be five years from now, 10 years from now, I had a hard time seeing one year from now because so many of the things that had historically been normal were now gone. 
And so I had to radically reduce the window of time that I was trying to work toward so that I could give myself the grace and get a little bit of momentum that through the inertia might allow me to keep propelling myself forward. So I asked a very simple question, what do I need in this season to get 90 days ahead of where I am today in a better position to get to where I'd hope to inevitably go? And I asked the question against the backdrop of five different components or dimensions of health. So what do I need? in my spiritual, emotional, mental, relational, and physical health. And in answering the question, I was trying to find two or three things in each of those dimensions that might become part of my daily routine, might become part of my habit set, the way that I have positive coping mechanisms, the right circle of people that surround me, the way that I have boundaries, or the way that I might consume certain things or keep myself from consuming certain things. And in answering those questions in real time, I was taking into consideration the very specific and practical conditions that I was working through in that day during that season. And I ended up asking that same question each 30 days so that when I made 30 days of progress out of what was a very dark part of the tunnel to now a little more light, a little more light, a little more light, I was now tweaking the things that I needed for my mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and relational health with contextually specific action that understood where I was to help me get to where I wanted to go. And for me, it was, you know, some of the things that were constant, right? Like in my mental health, I needed professional freaking help. Like I needed to see and be with my therapist regularly so that I could understand why I was thinking, what I was thinking, normalize some of the things that I was thinking, some catharsis in talking about what I was feeling, emotional health. I had to read a lot of books about what it means to feel and think the things I was thinking and feeling. And uh, in my relational health, it was about spending time with kids. Like some of those things were constants that haven't really changed a ton over the last couple of years. But some of them were very point in time specific that when I was at the very beginning of my journey, my definition of what a successful day looked like is wildly different than what I might think about two years in, where, you know, getting out of bed, getting dressed, showing up for my kids, like that may have been in a day, the only thing that I was hoping for at the very beginning of this journey, where now it's, you know, of course, it's different, because it's as much of it as a, as a nonlinear process, it is still a bottom left to the top right kind of thing that over time just keeps getting better and better over time. But that like 90 day, what do I need in the season exercise was wildly helpful, especially at that very beginning of the journey. Yeah. I've found the same thing in my life. It's been very, very helpful. I think getting out in nature first and foremost and running, <laughs> running helps. It unleashes uh, a lot of stress <laughs> that yeah, if I don't do it, I feel like something's missing in my day. And yeah, it kind of, I need it. <laughs> I'll tell you running for me. I mean, it was this form of church and therapy. I, I ran 200 plus miles in each of those first couple months at the very beginning, you know, I'm running 10 miles in the morning, 10 miles at night. And it was, it was a, it was a necessity because there was something in those long runs that allowed me to, in a pretty positive way, process my thoughts Yep. but also 
body movement just generally had this keystone habits kind of knock on effect that allowed so many other good habits to materialize because of the way that I was productively and proactively creating something positive for myself and body movement. Uh, such a, such a big, that running for me was so big. Yeah. I like how you mentioned it was kind of like church as well. Cause I, I would, I would listen to sermons and podcasts while I was running, but you, you talked about uh, the spiritual side of things. And I'm curious, this, this may be a dumb question, but we'll see how we go. Uh, what has uh, God taught you about what courage really is? Well, it's interesting because my relationship with God has only gotten stronger because of having gone through what I've been through. I've, I've always been a person of faith, and yet it's easy to say you have faith and not have had something truly tested. I now, in having had it tested, can attest to how much faith I've actually now come to appreciate that I have. I also know that uh, I started this journey really angry. I, I was really frustrated, like, hey, God, why would you allow something like this to happen? Um, and I know, not that anyone needs to hear it from me, because, of course, this is the case, that God's big enough to handle us being really angry with him, <laughs> really frustrated, <laughs> handle us screaming into the sky like a crazy person, a thing that I've done a handful of times in the course of this journey. Um, but I also appreciate that in some ways, it took me being forced to my knees to stay on my knees. And I, I know in a, I use the verse in the book, James 4, 8, draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. I am closer because of the necessity of closeness. Yep. And so there's something beautiful that's ended up happening, uh, not in spite of it, because of the way that these hard things have forged a closer relationship with God and a faith that through its being tested has affirmed its existence because of that test. Yeah, very true. Did you find that your value system was reshaped during these trials? Yes and no. It's interesting. Like the things that I had on my like personal values, core values list are more or less the same. Mm. Um, but the way that I have had to lean into certain aspects of them in the midst of this to maintain sanity and process grief and whatever else is maybe um, they've, they've all been afforded. The things that are most important in my life have been afforded inordinate amounts of time and weight. Uh, there's there's a, a line I use in the book, uh, an author named Nora Roberts used this quote when asked about how to balance work and life. And she said that uh, we're all juggling, uh, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but we're basically, we're all juggling balls and the importance is to understand which of the balls are glass and which of the balls are plastic, mm -hmm. right? The, the implication is that we are not going to be able to keep every ball in the air at all time, but knowing which one can drop and bounce back up and which one, if you were to drop, would have lasting effects because of its fragile nature, um, it allows you to really focus on the things that you have to keep in the air as glass balls. Mm. What was interesting for me in this last couple of years with the time is that I had in a few instances a redesignation of what was glass relative to what had previously been plastic. As a, for example, I, um, I coached my son's baseball team. 
a thing that I hadn't previously done that because of how busy I'd been at work, I'm not sure that I had, or I thought that I had the time to do. And yet in this season where so many things that had previously existed now didn't exist, I was certain that being a coach of my son's little league baseball team was a glass ball that had to take priority over anything else that I might be doing professionally. Right. Like I couldn't imagine something more important than being at field five on a Tuesday night for a practice because that connection with my son took paramount precedence over almost any other thing that I could do in the midst of like processing this divorce. And so um, was like being present for my kids important as a part of my core values before? Absolutely. Was it a glass ball, like that individual aspect of it, coaching my son's baseball? Was that a like glass ball? No, that was a like, it would be neat to be able to, I'd come out and be an assistant coach when I was able to kind of thing. And this became a, nope, this is one of the most important things that I can do in this transition, be super present for my kid. And I did that for each of my four kids because of how I, of course, was processing grief. So too, so too were they. Yeah. I like that analogy. <laughs> the glass ball and the plastic ball. Right. I'm going to keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. So why, why is, or is courage a value and why is that? Well, courage is a requirement for anyone who's interested in pursuing purpose, pursuing fulfillment, because the trappings of comfort or the trappings of what we know is something that actually requires less courage. We are familiar with it. We convince ourselves to, in some ways, become okay with being okay or decide unbelievably that we will settle for suffering that we're familiar with because of what we believe to be predictability around that suffering. Sometimes our identity even can be connected to or wrapped up in that suffering. And the decision to leave that suffering or challenge the status quo or leave this idea of being okay with being okay is something that requires courage because inevitably it pushes us into a place where we're doing something new. And that new thing is something that we will not do well at first at. We're likely to fail because we're supposed to actually in failing fail so that we can learn from the failure and grow from it, become something because of not doing well at it at first. And that takes courage because no one likes to be exposed as not already having it all together. No one likes to be exposed for not having an ability to be great. No one wants to be embarrassed. Even if there's a right for you to be embarrassed, no one likes to necessarily do that. Another reason, though, why courage is important is um, there are plenty of people in your life who have become accustomed to you behaving with them in a very specific and predictable way. And when you decide to finally listen to your intuition, your gut, your knowing the voice of God, your calling, whatever you want to call it, and start to step outside of comfort, start to step away from your predictable routine, it also beyond challenging or triggering you is likely to challenge or trigger someone who has come to know you as a person who acts in a certain way, who has some predictability in how they show up. So whether that's a partner or a friend, another mom in PTA, like whatever it is, there's arguably also going to be someone in your life that as you decide to step into your calling is in some ways made uncomfortable because of what is a departure from who they've known you to be. And that can be hard because as 
people who have historically tended to be people pleasers. We don't like to let people down. We don't like to make people uncomfortable. We've probably often muted or tamped down the voice inside of us, that intuition that we have to the voice of someone that we love or crave love from, who in the interest of keeping them happy, we've decided to opt for them over us. And so the choice to honor this intention of your creator or this voice that lives inside of you that, by the way, was placed there for a reason, often requires that you do so at the expense of someone else and their comfort in who you've historically been. Yeah, very true. Speaking about historically, I'm, I'm mindful of your time as well. I have a couple more questions for you, Dave, if that's okay. But oh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious about the story element side of things, in, especially when it comes to courage. I mean, my mind oftentimes goes back to the ancient times of ancient Sparta and those those incredible men that went out there and, and the Battle of Thermopylae and all that sort of stuff. And I'm curious, like, when you were doing research on this book, which story about someone's courage inspired you the most? It's so interesting because one of the things that I had to look at, certainly at the beginning of this change that chose me, was how many stories of people I admired had been through trying times and that it was because of, again, not in spite of, but because of those challenges that they catalyze that challenge into power, that they were able to turn that failure into triumph. And it was, you know, one person after the next. Steven Spielberg didn't get into film school and Bill Gates' first company failed. And Oprah Winfrey had a, a storied history of abuse at the beginning of her life and like on and on and on and on and on. And so like there, like if there is a person that you admire, Trust me, there is a story of overcoming obstacles and struggle and failure that they turned into triumph that exists at the foundation of that story. So um, if, if you, like me, ever find yourself down on your luck or having change cho choose you, or even if you choose change and you find yourself frustrated by, man, why is it so hard to get my land legs now that I've landed in this new place? Find a way to connect to the stories of other people that you admire. There are just hundreds and hundreds of stories that exist. Mm -hmm. I, in the same chapter in the book that I refer to all of these people, Edison's 10,000 attempts at making a light bulb until he gets to the one option that actually works. I also reference Lazarus in the Bible who had to actually die to be brought back to life which provoked this really interesting conversation for me where I had to ask myself, Dave, what might have to die in your life for you to be brought back to life? Mm -hmm. Which is a heavy question, but as it turns out, a lot of really, really important things in my life had to die in order for me to be brought back to life. My identity, my sense of normalcy, my ego, my like, you, like almost anything that's important to you as a human and me as a man had to leave in order for me to be brought back to life. But there's this beautiful quote in Fight Club. I know you're a movie aficionado. How often are people quoting Fight Club on this show? Never. But there's a, there's a Tyler Durden quote that says, it's not until you lose everything that you're free to do anything. Yeah. And so in this unbelievable way, in the same way that I think anyone who's faced challenge before in failure or in something dying or in the ashes that remain after things don't go your way, there is also liberation. There is also some freedom. I, at least for me, there was an invitation mm -hmm. 
to now in those ashes, right? Whatever story I could imagine, once I could push past my fear and equip myself with some courage to create whatever kind of legacy I might hope to be remembered by at the end of my life. What a gift. And so there is something beautiful in that invitation to do anything. What's once you've known is gone. And, uh, and that's where I find myself like really excited about focusing on and working on things that I probably in all honesty would not be working on if not for the opportunity that comes in the aftermath of things having burned down and died. Yeah. What do you hope for people to get out of reading this book the most? Well, I mean, more than anything, I want there to be an appreciation that every single one of us, whether it's you, Jay, me, or any single listener, that there is, in fact, this very specific, explicit reason why you were put on this planet, that there was intention and deliberateness in your having been put here, the experiences that you've been put through, and that with that, this now you as a unique one of one limited edition on this planet Um, There's a mandate of sorts that comes with the recognition that you have only been given this experience. And that is to do what you can with the time that you have to honor the intention of your creator. And so the book attempts to try and help you have confidence in that voice that lives inside of you, that knowing, that intuition, that gut, that many times knows what you need before your consciousness even appreciates fully to listen to that voice, to trust that voice, and to, in a way that allows you to spend time inside your passion and build on your competencies and opportunity for impacting others in a way that allows you to fully unlock your purpose. And so the book really structurally is really taking ownership and and full appreciation in a a self-awareness kind of way of where you are, honestly, super candidly, where are you? What's working? And more importantly, what's not working? Where are your blocks? Where are you stuck? What are the things that currently you could you know, do to get past any kind of negative coping mechanisms or anything limiting beliefs wise that's keeping you in your way? Casting an audacious vision of where you want to go, right? One that's really connected to passion and, and competency. Where do you want to go? And then it gets into the very specific details of what it's going to take to get there. Here are the practical things that you'll have to do when it comes to habits, routines, the kind of circle you'll need, the kind of influences you allow yourself to be encumbered by. Um, but all of that is, you know, again, the hope that if you can start to make those steps away from comfort into uncomfortable spaces while equipping yourself with courage, that you might find yourself closer to purpose, honoring intention and living a super fulfilled life. I love this message and I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Dave, it's called, these new book is built through courage, face your fears to live the life you were meant for. Where do you want people to get a copy of this book before I ask you the final question? Uh, You can get this book literally anywhere, but when you do, I have created uh, almost $500 worth of incentives to thank you for using your hard-earned money. So once you pre-order the book, go to mrdavehollis.com forward slash book, and you can get a four-part course with a PDF workbook on finding your purpose, a course, a five-part course on confidence and mindset, two things that you will definitely need to pursue your purpose. And you get access immediately to 13 weeks of coaching where we're breaking down some of the concepts in the book week over week. 
Uh, we're on week 11 right now, but you get access forever and ever to all 13 of the coachings. I would love for you to join this community. There's 6,500 humans of like-minded nature reaching for a better version of themselves. And we'd love to have you join in real time. I'll make sure everyone knows where to get a copy of your book. My final question for you, Dave, this one I have not asked you before. What do you love the most about yourself and your story? Well, I was recently, uh, I'm, I'm dating someone and uh, we're long distance dating. Her name is Heidi. She's amazing. And as a way of trying to get to know each other, we've been playing these weird card games where we pick a card and it requires us to answer uh, what sometimes is a super surface level question, sometimes a deep question. But I got this question the other day, and I think it's uh, I think it's telling in so many ways. The question was, describe yourself in three words. And the three words that I used was work in progress in that three words that earlier in my life, as someone who previously was more fixed mindset oriented, I saw as a negative attribution I saw as like me not yet already being at a place that I'd hoped to be, but I now see in this growth mindset that I've adopted as a badge of honor, as something that I am proud of and will be for the rest of my life working on who I am becoming. That hopefully the day before I'm gone from this planet, I still see myself as someone who is becoming and is still a work in progress. And so I would just encourage anyone to think of how they might uh, reach for a little bit better a version of themselves, even if it's just 1% better. The idea of being better tomorrow is such a big, important currency in my own life. And I know when I'm thinking about how I want to feel about myself when I'm by myself, progress is complicit in how I get to feel pride because of the way I'm making motion from yesterday to today. Work in progress. That is a great way to sort of leave this conversation. Dave Hollis, thank you so much, my friend, for another great conversation. Really, really enjoyed this. And, and thank you for sharing uh, with my people today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate you so much, brother. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 